Lord, you are our great God and Savior. Thank you for loving us so. We did not deserve your love, but because of your goodness, your kindness, your majesty, your glory. Lord, because of your mercy to us, we can know you. I pray that you'd give us wisdom as we dig into your word. Give me wisdom as I preach. And Lord, may our hearts be open to your goodness, your love. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as has already been said, we're going to take a break from Pastor Tim's excellent and fascinating series on 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at Advent, and today uh, we're going to look at the Father's gift, his son, Matthew 1, 18 through 23. Have you ever received a really cool gift? For me, well, this is one that came to mind. When I was a kid, when I was in fourth grade, I wanted a pinball machine, and my parents must have heard about it because they gave me a pinball machine. It was really neat. It wasn't one of those fancy ones that you might have seen in the arcade, uh, not like at Mother's Pinball Mount Prospect in 1980. No, you wouldn't see that. But it was, you know, it was a nice one, it was, and it was fun. We played with that. Now, conversely, let's talk about gifts that you give. If you were God, what kind of gift? Uh, whoops, sorry. Ah, oh, boy, it's not working. This is a bad time for this to not work. <laughs> Gee, it's on. <laughs> I think it works now. Okay. Hi, Keith. Yeah, let's just change the battery. That's okay. So you can, you can just operate. You can call an audible. That's fine. Conversely, let's talk about gifts that you would give. Uh, if you were God and you had to give a gift to the world, what would you give? Let's look at some options. Would it be a cure for a dreaded disease? Would it be long life and health? Would it be peace and justice? Oh my goodness, 2023 has shown us the need for peace and justice in this world. Let's look at what God really gave us when he had the opportunity to give a gift to the world. Let's look at the next slide. Matthew 1, 18 through 23. I think you know what's coming next. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Thank you. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Whoop, sorry. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived of her, uh, conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So what was God's gift to the world? God's gift to the world was a baby. Now, babies are pretty useless unless they grow up to be the savior of the world. Fascinating side note. To indicate that it's side note and tangential, I'm going to step to the other side of the stage. I thought this was amazing. When we think of Mary, the mother of God, we usually imagine someone like this. This is a painting by the great Renaissance-era painter, Raphael, mother and child with the book, so we usually envision someone like this, someone who's in her, you know, maybe college age, maybe in her 20s. But a couple of commentaries I looked at pointed out that women at that time, really girls at that time, 
were betrothed, that is engaged around age 12 or 13, and married at age 13 or 14. Are there any, are there any girls here who are 13 or 14 years old? Okay, there aren't any. They're probably, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just stunning. Okay, you gotta get, gotta get a move on. Okay, let's get moving. I just thought that was amazing. So rather than think of this, when you think of Mary, think of this. This is our daughter Miranda. I was with her to see the Nutcracker a few years back. She was in seventh grade at the time. That's roughly how old Mary was when she bore the Christ child. So the next time you hear about Mary and her obedience to God and her service, don't think of someone who's college age. Think of someone who's in our youth group, a girl who's in our youth group. Not a high schooler, but a junior high schooler. Stunning. I mean, no joke. Shocking. Okay, so why give the baby the name Jesus? Jesus in Greek is the Greek form of this Hebrew name, Yehoshua or Yeshua for short. We sometimes say Joshua, which is Hebrew for the Lord saves. And what did the Lord save us from? You were to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so in what way did we need to be saved? Uh, in what way did we need to be saved from our sins? This is a model of the second temple, not an actual picture of the second temple, but a model of it. It was built by a fellow, a retired farmer, who spent 33,000 hours on it over the course of more than three decades. It's exquisite, really amazing. So that middle in the back, I'm sorry, that's, uh, so this, Sorry, this, uh, this building in the back would have, been, would have contained the most holy place. The high priest went there once a year on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur. Back then, and even today, it's still the most solemn, the holiest day of the Jewish calendar. This year, it, was, um, it began uh, September 24, 2023, uh, at sunset. Uh, back then, in biblical times, the high priest would have gone into the most holy place once a year he would have sacrificed a bull for his own sins and then a goat for the sins of the people. And he would have sprinkled, he would have sprinkled the, the Ark of the Covenant with that, that blood. So the Ark of the Covenant was, again, the gold-covered chest that contained the tablets that Moses received on Mount Sinai, among other things. How effective were these animal sacrifices in taking away our sins? Were they effective? No, they weren't. Because if they were effective, then we would have been one and done. You offer for sins once, and that would have been it. But there is a reason, as the author of Hebrews says, we have the high priest to have to offer sacrifices over and over again, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And that's why God sent Jesus. He is the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. Once he was offered on the cross for our sins, that's it. Because again, as the author of Hebrews says, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So we've been saying, and again, the, the theme of this sermon today is, was you know, the gift of the Father. Was Jesus a gift? Well, none of the passages, the passage we've looked at so far hasn't specifically said Jesus is a gift. So we're going to look at another passage that explicitly states that. And this passage will also say uh, why the Father offered Jesus. There is a reason why John 3.16 is the sign that's held up at football games. No one holds up a sign saying Nahum 3.3. You know, it's, always, it's always John 3.16. 
There's a reason why John 3.16 is on the bottom of bags from Forever 21. Next time you're at Northbrook Court, check that out. There's a reason why John 3.16 is at the bottom of cups and in and out Burger. Sadly, the nearest one is in Colorado. But the next time you're there to get a double-double, check this out on the bottom of the cup. It's because there is possibly no better verse for encapsulating, for summarizing the gospel, the Christian message, than John 3.16. Usually we say, for God so loved the world. In other words, uh, that means for God loved the world in this way. For God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the gift. God gave, again, God gave his son. In fact, this gift is not just a great gift. It's not just the greatest gift. This is the gift. Jesus' incarnation and life and death and resurrection is the most profound event in human history. This is the gift. We'll also look at why. Uh, we should also mention why God gave this gift. Notice why he did it. It was love. God loved the world. In fact, if you look at the order of the words in the Greek, it goes like this, at least in the middle portion. That his son the only begotten he gave. Now, in Greek, the word order can change, and sometimes we change the word order. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to say it like I write in Greek, but sometimes the word order was changed to reflect emphasis. In this case, the emphasis was on the Son, uh, that gift, that greatest gift, that gift with immense love, that his Son, the only begotten, he gave. I love the way one commentator put it. The Father put the well-being of the world above that of his Son, the Father put the well-being of the world. He put, God the Father, put your well-being above that of his Son. That's just stunning. Why did God, I'm sorry, why did God? God didn't give me the pinball machine. Why do you think, why do you think my parents gave me the pinball machine? On the count of three, I want you to just say your answer. Why did my parents give me a pinball machine? That's right. It's because they loved me. Parents love their kids. They just want to provide something that will make them happy, something that will satisfy them. Now, what was our relationship to God at the time? We were not his children. We're his children now, but we weren't his children back then. We weren't even his friends, his buddies, his bros. No, Scripture says that we were his enemies. Oh, my goodness. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved? Will we be saved by his life? God did this, not for his buddies, not for his kids, but for his enemies, for people who were opposed to him, for people who were against him. That's just stunning. Furthermore, Romans 5, 7 through 8, a little bit earlier, says, Rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person. Uh, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God proves his love. What I'd like you to notice is that this is not a past tense verb. It doesn't say God proved his love to you by sending his son to die on the cross. It's a present tense verb. But God proves his love. So even today, 2,000 years after Jesus' death, this is still how God demonstrates his love to you. It's on the cross. 
Note two, it says, for God loved the world. This might have been shocking to the readers because the idea that God loved Israel wasn't, you know, that's, that's in the Old Testament. Uh, but this might have shocked the Jewish readers at the time. God didn't just love Israel. He loved the world. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. My, uh, my daughter uh, and I went to see Foreigner when they played in the Chicago area. I don't even remember them from the 1980s. I apologize for all the pop culture, 80s pop culture references. That's just my generation. So we saw it, went to see them when they played this summer. And of course, they are going to play their biggest songs, including I Want to Know What Love Is. I Want to Know What Love Is. Makes you want to raise your hand and say, I know what love is. I know what love is. Because scripture tells us what love is. 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16 but 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how the Son loves us. Let's look at how the Father loves us. 1 John 4, 9 through 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's love. Now, not everybody is going to be included in this. God's love extends to all. This offer extends to all, but not everybody is going to accept it. Note, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So people who accept God's gift, you know, people who embrace that, they're going to be saved. But people who reject it, who just pay no attention to it, pay no heed to it, uh, they will perish. If there has never been a time in your life when you have embraced that gift, I urge you to do so. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die a gruesome and excruciating death on the cross for our sins. He didn't do that because we deserved it. He did it because, because he is love. And Jesus is that great, that great atoning sacrifice for our sins. He did what bulls and goats could never do. He took our sins. He died on the cross in our place. And those of us who are trusting in him, those of us who trust in his death as the sacrifice for our sins, we become children of God. Our sins are forgiven. We gain eternal life. It's a, and the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. We're made part of Christ's body. If there has never been a time when you've taken advantage of that offer, I urge you to do so because it's the best decision, bar none, that you could ever make. Lou Graham is the lead singer for what band? Foreigner. Foreigner, you bet. He was the one who belted out, I want to know what love is, back in 1984. After he left the band, he became a Christian. So now he knows, he knows what love is. I don't know what you think the big idea is for today. For me, it was God's immense love the Father has immense love for us. So his gift to us was his son. I was just bowled over by that, especially the notion, especially the notion that God put our well-being above that of his son, God the Father. It's amazing. <clears throat> we talked earlier about gifts that we would give to the world if we could. Cure for disease, long life and health, peace and justice. If you said these, or if you thought you would give these to the world, you weren't wrong. You were just premature. 
Because when you look at what God's going to give us in the age to come, these are all included. Look at Revelation 21, 3 through 4. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. That's, the, that's what's in store for those of us who believe in Jesus, those are, who are children of God. Let me pray for us for a moment. Father, thank you for sending us your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. I pray that that would, I pray that that love would so transform our lives that it would fill us with love for others. May you use us to spread the knowledge of your love and may you use us in great ways to advance your kingdom. We ask all of this in the precious name of your son, our savior, Jesus. There's something I'd like to point out uh, as you're on your way out. There's actually this cool piece of artwork in the hallway. So let me read this to you. This year, we wanted to use an additional art form to help us behold the beauty of what God has given us. We've commissioned Mary Biss, skillful artist and friend of North Sub and Adat communities, to paint a representation of the gift that we're focusing on each week of Advent. This week from Mary, we have a depiction of the Father's gift to us, his Son. It will be on display right outside the sanctuary, so be sure to take a look on your way out today.